Well, hello there, weary traveler. Welcome to the inn. Sit, sit, rest your feet. Why, it's a long journey on the road to Tarvalon. Have a cup of tea. Or maybe a frothy ale. The light. Why, you're just in time for the entertainment. Here are your hosts, Tracy and Amber. The study playlist was the right one to (laughs) (laughs) It's really funny. Like, I have a... There's, like, a trip-hop remix of Maps. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's on this playlist, and it's so good. I'm like, why trip-hop, Tracy? Really, that's that's the choice today? When we were... I'm trying to think... I can't remember where me and Simon were at, but we were staying in a hotel somewhere. And they did like a breakfast buffet thing in the mornings, but it was mm-hmm. like trip hop music playing. So we would like stumble to go get our food and be like, uh, make it stop. Like, I'm not in the mood for this. Who wants to listen to that? Like when you're getting your, you know, like your morning bagel or whatever. Right. <laughs> no. I feel like we should just leave that in. No. People will be like, what are they talking about? I do like the idea of like I mean that one of the things I've been thinking about is that now that we have kind of established ourselves in a way with like having a listenership that's mm-hmm. growing, like I feel like a little bit more comfortable like allowing personal stuff to kind of creep in a bit more because I really enjoy the interactions that we've had with the people that we've had interactions Mm -hmm. with and I honestly feel like this that's been one of the best parts about doing this and we talked about it before but it's just it stays so prevalent like I don't know there's just this kindness in this community that I really feel and I I have to wonder as a hardcore, super nerdy geek kid who read thousand-page novels in high school, like I have to wonder if like this is the group of the misfits, might like, the be. people who didn't, you know, like. Well, I kind of feel I, like I that's. Know. I feel I feel that way for like all of fantasy and science fiction people. Because I, th- I agree. There's like these such expansive like worlds, and I feel like we're those are the people that are always like the dreamers. You know what I mean? Yes. Like yes, yes, I do. Mm-hmm. People that aren't like satisfied. Not saying they're not satisfied with normal life, but just like there's more out there. You know, like. And they're capable of imagining it and allowing themselves to go to that place. Yeah. And as much as that seems to be like something that. But, I mean, I, of course, got teased as, as like, a kid because of my, like, incessant face in a book. Being bookish. I, yes. Like, I was always like, I don't – can I just sit and read during gym? Gym is dumb. I think the only thing – yeah, the only thing that saved me is I was good <laughs> at sports. Well, not not all sports. Oh, my God. My hand-eye coordination. Not great, but <laughs> – I don't know if I if I hadn't played soccer, I probably would have been. I don't know. As a little kid, 
when I wasn't playing soccer, I was probably reading. And even yeah. as a little kid, like, that's what I would do. Like, when I spent time with my grandmother, we would, like, read together. Oh, that's so sweet. That's how I was. That's why I was so young when I started Lord of the Rings. I was probably, I was really young, but just. Really? Yeah. Like, I had just pretty much, like, started to learn to read. And my grandma would help me read Lord of the Rings. And um, she would actually, like. This is it's pretty much how I learned to read is like going through Mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings with my grandmother. But she would like leave things out as (laughs) like if she didn't think that it was like suitable for a little kid because she was like a very, very loving but strict Catholic woman. (laughs) (laughs) So if anything got like a little too, you know, like murdery, she would like leave it out. And I'd always be like, "That this doesn't sound right. What happened? Like, this, I feel like I'm missing something. This book doesn't make any sense, Grandma." There are holes. Yeah, there are holes you could drive a wagon a wagon through. And she was probably yeah, yeah, God. Aww. But no, that's like one of the early. I think that's one of the earliest like books that I can remember reading. Yeah. Which is kind of psycho for a little kid to read, but and at the same time, that's just kind of cool, you know. Like, yeah. I think I read like Babysitters Club and okay, uh, Sweet Valley High. Like I, I remember Babysitters Club, Babysitters Club, Boxcar Children, Nancy Drew. I liked mysteries. Yeah, that's why the Boxcar Children and Nancy Drew were always getting into something. Uh, what else? Trying to think of like the young. Like the stuff, like from being little. I mean, like Narnia. The, the Narnia books were actually really big for for me. Like that was they one of the things broke that... me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was way too sad. I was super attached to that lion. God damn it! <laughs> then when he dies, I was like, "Fuck, I'm gonna cry." That was terrible. I was I I'm a sense I was a sensitive child. I'm still a sensitive Me adult. Too. But Me too. Me too. That's why when I get that, into that, some of these chapters and and um Wheel of Time, I'm like, oh my god, I'm yes. like blubbering. <laughs> yes. Well and I mean see, okay, so that's the thing is like that's what I think creates the audience around the books. Is like I feel like if you can imagine those emotions and imagine those places and like feel sympathy and empathy, I don't, there's just something about that kind of experience and not all books are capable of making that happen. And I mean, for so such a consistent mm-hmm. span of time, like there are 14 books in this series and this has, I mean, like, is it, is it, is it the longest fantasy series ever written we we're going to have i'm i think the answer is yes we have a video we're gonna do like and i mean this actually could should we say hey amber hi i'm here with you (laughs) yeah let's just roll with it you want to okay yeah okay yeah i just so we're (laughs) (laughs) we're good at this okay so we've talked about like how long it is how massive yes yeah and okay so this last this last week september 16th um 
is the the death date of Robert Jordan. The anniversary um, of his death. Yeah, yeah. And so we wanted to like, I mean, we've kind of naturally progressed into this as a conversation, but we kind of just wanted to like give it a, a little acknowledgement because I think it's definitely worth it. Um, yeah. And I know that the people that read – and. I, that's why it's worth it is like the people that read the series those people that like really get into the series and then like the community we've seen around it on twitter like twitter instagram yeah someone post someone i saw something yesterday on twitter and it made me really sad because they were like i feel like it's becoming like not as fun for people that aren't content creators and, like, the content creators are kind of, like, taking over Twitter. And I felt really sad because I was just thinking, like, shit. Like, I come here for, like, all of the, like, funny memes and the people, like, mm-hmm. giving their sometimes, you know, unpopular opinions. And, you know, people saying, like, oh, I read this book for the first time. And I just got to this part in this book. Mm-hmm. And holy crap. And, like, that was the – for me, like, that's what I came – onto Twitter and found like as I first started yeah you know I have the world and I was like oh my god thank god I didn't know that these people were out there (laughs) like oh finally and this was before I knew you had read the series so I was just kind Mm -hmm. of like I don't know I was kind of just like creeping on Twitter reading what other people were saying but not really you know taking part in the discussions and then I was Mm -hmm. like screw it I'm just gonna make a different Twitter account and I basically stopped using my personal Twitter account. Like, <laughs> like it's a, it's, yeah, it's kind of a graveyard over there. But no, like that makes me sad that some people don't feel like what they're saying is being seen. And I just mm-hmm. want to say like, no, like that's what makes it so much fun. You know, like, Agreed. of course, I love seeing what content creators are putting out there. But at the same time, like, no, like, I like all the little stuff. Like, I like the people who are so, like, people, there are people who have made Twitter accounts for, like, Matt's eye patch, like, an inanimate <laughs> object. I'm like, yes, I'm here for it. I personally, uh, is it Matt's horse Pips? Mm-hmm. I love Pips. Love that one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Mandarb and, uh, I especially oh, just like uh, watching like Dane Bornholt like call people dark friends. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, it's just it's so it's so fun. Like it's been so fun, and to like to acknowledge the passing of Robert Jordan. Um, I wish he were still here so he could see this himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As like a, as like a kid, like I wanted, like I was that kid that wanted to believe in magic um like I wanted to believe that it was possible to get to the back of a a wardrobe and step out into a magical land like yes I wanted that to be a real thing and I feel as though like people who like follow the wheel of time and follow like you said like sci-fi and fantasy novels that have like expansive universes Mm -hmm. attached to them like Robert Jordan created that for me and I like like I started reading that when I was fourteen, and I've mentioned this like in other episodes, but like I'm forty two now, and I still love the series. It still takes me to the place that I first found when I 
when I read it. And, and think too, I just love it. At the age of fourteen, how many how many things you took away from it, and how different it is reading it now. Like it's probably mm-hmm. like a whole nother world, which just makes it even more exciting to like get back into. It's so much more layered than it was when I read it as a child. I don't know how to explain it. I think I'm. I think because I'm older and I've had more life experiences, mm-hmm. some of the things hit me a little differently than they would have. Oh yeah. Or even did when I was a kid. And plus, I had to like wait for these to like all come out, like because I I started this series so early. And then so you're like waiting for the next book. And like for a while, I would always read the first books. Like I remember when the fourth book came out and I read all three of the first books. To get ready for the fourth book. To get ready for the fourth (laughs) one. Yeah. And so like I did that. I think I did that up to like book six or seven. And then like I became an adult and had priorities in school stuff and whatnot. But it just has stuck with me, and I really appreciate that, like, Robert Jordan created this absolutely epic world that we can sink our teeth into, and I kind of, like, I wanted to include a video from someone that we started following on Twitter this last week as well, which is uh, Unraveling the Pattern. Yeah, I think it's he's that. a YouTuber, and mm-hmm. oh my god. His videos. His videos are so good. He's They're so beautiful. talented. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And Tracy and so had I... messaged him and was like, hey, um, <laughs> I guess you... your videos are beautiful. Yeah. Like, I really appreciated the the detail and like, it was just so pretty. But the other thing that I appreciated because like, I like people who can put things really concisely and in a way that other people can understand because I'm terrible at that. <laughs> I'm a really rambly individual. Um, and so he just like summed up, like he asked a question in like one of the spoiler free videos that he does and we'll include a link in our show notes. We're going to play the clip, but like he asks the question, what makes it so epic? And like what Robert Jordan created is legitimately unique and like way above what anybody has created to date. Just how epic is the Wheel of Time series? Each of the 14 main series books is close to 1,000 pages in paperback English editions. By word count, the Wheel of Time series and its companion books are equal to the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy, The Hobbit, The Silmarillion, all seven of the Harry Potter books, War and Peace, the King James Version of the Bible, and all of the current five Game of Thrones books combined. And to top it all off, According to Robert Jordan's associates, the notes that he left behind about his world and characters contain more words than the final published versions of the books. Oh, my God. (laughs) Lauren, you gave me chills, buddy. No kidding. (laughs) Thank you, Lauren, for letting us use that clip. It's truly incredible. And like just putting that information together is so simply fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. I definitely gave you a thumbs up. Thank you. You can't see our thumbs up, but they're there. <laughs> they're there. Well, and I, I did. I, I subscribed to your YouTube channel, and I'm pretty sure I commented on a couple of videos because <laughs> they were really good. <laughs> I'm still working. I've worked my way through the, I think, the three most recent ones. Yeah. But I actually found him because of someone posting um, 
a it was kind of just like a listener or readers of the wheel of time talking about what got them into the series and what it means to them and he had like yeah. a short little video on it and it was really funny and really good but there was a lot of good videos on that one um but yeah there, i mean there's just there's so much good stuff out there Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's kind of hard to find. And that's another reason why, like, I don't know if you're on Twitter, Instagram, you can sometimes you can like find that stuff a little bit easier. But Mm -hmm. it's almost sad that Robert Jordan isn't alive to, you know, see like what people are talking about, you know, and it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's 2020. And here we are, you know, still gabbing about things that happened in Eye of the World that you know, it's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And that so many people have different interpretations of it. Favorite characters, characters they hate, characters that they yeah. love, characters love that are so things. well written that they're so easy to like despise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the range of emotions that I really appreciate. Yeah. There are, of course, times where I'm like, okay, just flip, flip, flip. <laughs> I don't need quite this much detail about whatever Ibu Dar. It's great. Like, I get it. But other times, like, I just, like, will read the same section more than once. I really appreciated someone who was going through Lord of Chaos recently and, like, put, like, one, like, one of the lines that, like, just gives you chills. Was that, like, as that... Well, I was think it- someone did that one. <laughs> Shit. Spoiler, you're going to have to bleep me out. <laughs> was it beep, beep, or was it beep? <laughs> <laughs> you will do that, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can always just cut it out. Oh. No, bleeping it would be funnier. <laughs> then it's still spoiler free. But then you can that's still true. know that we're talking about it. Yeah, it's funny. There's so many goosebump moments in Lord of Chaos. There really are. I just finished it and like I, I jumped straight into book seven, of course, because that's just how I am. But I almost like feel like I needed to give it a little extra time to process. Like part of me is still kind of lingering in the end of that book, Oof. which I mean it's supposed to. Yeah. But like, and I think he does a really good job of like giving that one such a big finale finish and then like picking it up in the next one in a way that just absolutely. It's almost like, George yeah, it's like a cold open. Brilliant. Like you're just like right, then you're right in it, you know. You're Yeah, and off you go. It's so good. It's just so well done. Bravo. Thank you. Thank you, universe, for giving us Robert Jordan for fucking real. Yeah. Like, I appreciate that. So, hey, should we? Oh, yeah. Should we, like, talk about the book now? Should we talk about New Spring? (laughs) Our prequel? I think we should. Um, So, welcome back. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Yeah, I'm here with my friend Amber. I'm here with my friend Tracy. <laughs> um, and this is The Road to Taravalon, a Wheel of Time podcast recapping the books, uncovering fan theories, discussing the upcoming TV show on Amazon Prime, and unpacking the many intricacies of this incredible series. And we are getting back to new spring. So, Yay! yeah. I'm excited. So last week we finished up on our spoiler-free part two episode of The Forsaken. 
Um, and for anyone currently reading the series, I would recommend checking those episodes out because, well, there's so many Forsaken and their backgrounds remain kind of a mystery throughout the series. Mm-hmm. So this was um, something that I think is really helpful for new readers trying to kind of piece everything out. Yeah. And it's very entertaining. <laughs> yeah. I'm not just saying that because I made it, <laughs> but... <laughs> It's fun. The Demon Dread thing was pretty fantastic. Yeah. And I don't know. That's, the Forsaken are such... There's some amazing characters. You know, there's some people that you love to hate. And... Yeah. Lanfear. Mm-hmm. I'm seriously, like... You're a Lanfear fan. I am. I like her. I like... I love to hate her. I like... I think Demon Dread is my favorite. <coughs> Psych. <laughs> Do people still say that? I don't know. You just did. <laughs> Bringing it back. But anyways, today is all about New Spring. We are starting with <laughs> Chapter 7, The Itch, and then we'll continue on to Chapter 10, and that one is called It Finishes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We decided, like, these chapters are really short, and so, like... We're just gonna kind of yeah two I think two two up two cha- two <laughs> chapters per week felt a little kind of mm, yeah scrawny it wasn't enough so yeah we're gonna try four yeah. and see how it goes it may change yeah. a little bit it may not so we'll see yeah we're still we're still figuring this out as we go um, and getting more comfortable with it so actually it feels okay if we like do this and make mistakes. It'll be okay. Yeah. We got this. Yeah. So let's start with... uh, The itch. The itch. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't remember, uh, Moraine and Swan are now, like, putting together this list of women who may be the mothers of the Dragon Reborn, which is really important to keep in mind that this is what they're doing, and it is secret. Like... No one knows. Just Moraine and Swan, and Gitara is now deceased. So yeah, so we have what starts to happen here. Um, Like Moraine kind of doubts, like people are going to openly tell them that they birthed a child by Dragon Mount or on the slopes of Dragon. Because everybody knows the prophecies. Yeah, like, at least, like, little pieces of it, and that's one that's, like, a blazing neon sign that everybody, like, recognizes, and, like, she says that no woman would uh, give up or would admit that the child of her body was doomed to madness and terror, Um, and she sees it, like, Maureen is so, (laughs) Maureen, she's so great. Like, she's so smart, and, like, she recognizes that doing this is like playing Desdemar with the world at stake. The, like, she sees... The game of houses. Yeah. Exactly. It's like a chessboard yeah. at this point. Exactly. She's, she's like, man, and then at the same time, she's like, I, I need to step into that. I need to do that. Um, and I love, I just love that she's already so committed to making this happen. Like no one, and no one's asked her to do it. She just knows she's going to. Um, I think that's so anyway, maybe some foreshadowing for later. Maybe. I think you're right. Um, 
Anyway, so she's got this on her mind, and then she also has, like, these Aes Sedai who are, like, trying to be like, so, hey, you could be the queen of Kyrie. Oh, God, they're trying to drag her, like, they, back to yeah. Endor. <laughs> no, Kyrie. Or Kyrian. Uh, no, 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 you're okay. So she's got that, and she also knows that she's, like, just moments away from her testing. So poor Moraine has a lot going on in her head. Um, but while all of this is happening, Tamra, the Amarillan seat, comes and asks Moraine to deliver a message to, um, an Aes Sedai. It's, oh, I, do, I don't have her name. I don't Kareen. know her name. Yeah. Kareen. Is that right? It's Kareen. I do, it, no, I, your name, oh, I, it's probably way down here. Yes, her name is Kareen. I'm sorry, I could just open my book. Um... This is where things get, like, this gets fun, I think. I love all of this plotting that Moraine is so skilled at. Well, and she sees it. She sees it for what's happening. So she's being asked to take this message to, um... Okay, great. Kareen Nagashi. So she's off to... Because, actually, like this is a name that is important for us to remember. Kareen is going to have a big role in what's coming up. And for me, I, like, kind of want to actually be, like, intentionally talking about people. Because I feel like it's easy for those people to, like, slip mm-hmm. through the cracks. Like, you see their name, and you only see it for a moment. And, like, sometimes it doesn't stick with you. And then later on, something important happens, and that name gets yeah. pulled in. And you're like, I know that name. Where did that name come from? So Kareen is going to have a big moment role to play, yeah. Like throughout this this particular book is my is my feeling and Moraine's as well. So Moraine goes to the Greens' quarters, and I loved this because this is the only time we've ever been inside the quarters of the Aes Sedai. Mm-hmm. And like she, as she's how badass through, are the Greens' quarters? Though I mean, when I was reading, when I was getting to this point, I was thinking like. This just sounds like they're all, like, really, they're all badasses with all of the, like, mm-hmm. armor and knives and daggers and all the imagery. There's, like, hmm There are, what was it, like, crossbows or something, like, hung on their doors. And there were, like, mosaics of various kinds of swords on the floor. Mm-hmm. Like, and there's, like, there was one Aes Sedai who was watching her two warders fight. Like, and she's cheering them on, and one of them's named Elias. <gasps> Elias. <laughs> That's all I'm saying at this point. When there are spo- when we're talking spoilers, Elias. Don't forget Elias. Um. Anyway, so what I love is Moraine, like, also glimpsing the Aes Sedai through their open doors, and, like, there's one who's teaching her warder a new dance and i was like <laughs> it's like her like walking into a circus really like yeah what is was, going on in here like what are these people doing <laughs> and i i was like is this is this frat party place like <laughs> there's like a case of like empty bud light on the ground and <laughs> They're doing keg stands. <laughs> Someone set up beer. Bong. That would be like the the real world equivalent, though. Like walking into yeah. this and being like, "What the hell?" And I was also wondering, where do you, where do I, Sedai go dancing? Right. 
There's some kind they, of like Aes Sedai ball that we don't know about. <laughs> I mean, for I one, I would love that because I would want to see the outfit. Yes. But <laughs> yeah, that's. I was like, do do Aes Sedai hold court? Because like in the book, it says that he's like she's teaching him the a, one of the latest court dances, and I'm like, how does she know that? Why? Okay. Anyway, I thought that that was just really interesting, and then it left me with, like, all of these questions. But, um, so anything, anyway, Moraine has to deliver this message, and she gets there, and she drops it off, and she sees that there is a, it was a sword. There was a sword on the door to Kareen's apartment, um, and she doesn't know what it means. Like, I think it's, like, has a, specific color pattern or something to it and she said that when she doesn't know what something is she gets an itch between her it's like an itch between her shoulder blades that she can't reach so the name of the chapter the itch I always like to point those things out when Robert Jordan does it and I catch it because I think it's another thing that's like clever of him is to be able to like yeah good chapter titles yeah and that that. just I mean it it totally goes right into her trying to piece out what the meaning of these messages mean, these notes to the other Aes Sedai. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That yeah. Tamara has, like, you know, kind of, like, sent out these notes to everyone. So she, you know, she's just kind of trying to, like, figure things out, but, you know, mm-hmm. not – she doesn't want to stand out so that they, like, notice that she's there. So she's kind of just, like, standing there, taking it in, trying to be, you know, like a fly on the wall. Mm-hmm. And I like that that's, like, also kind of, like, the itch. Like, she's got an itch to, like, solve this little, look at you, yeah. Nancy Drew. <laughs> I love a good mystery. Mm-hmm. And so so does Moraine. It's an itch between her <laughs> shoulder blades. Moraine is, my, is one of my very, 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 very favorite characters. I love Moraine. And I really like that we get this backstory, these, like, moments of insecurity of her, like... I feel like anybody who is a Moraine fan should definitely read New Spring. Yeah. Because I've always I've always felt like she's this presence that doesn't always get fully We only get like seen. We only get like a two dimensional Moraine Moraine throughout yeah. the main series, but like getting her backstory that then you then you really see her, like for who she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like what she's gone through to get to this point where like she just magically appears in Emmons field, mm-hmm. you know, and she's like, such a mysterious character in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I really so I've, I'm really appreciating this like background from being able to do like read this and talk about it. Um, so anyway, so Moraine has been asked to take these messages to specific Aes Sedai. Swan has also been asked to carry a few messages to other Aes Sedai. And Moraine puts together what she knows about these particular sisters, which is like they have like a dedication to adherence to law and custom. And they're some of they the oldest, powerful. most powerful, yeah. like longest in the tower group. Yep. Like are yeah. some of them the are some are some of them the heads of the Ajas as well, or are they? I don't remember. I think at least one is a sitter, maybe. Okay, okay, so. But I don't remember for sure. But it's definitely but yeah. like not some of the like lower level Aes Sedai. These are all Mm-mm. people that have you know like a very good reputation. I would say. Yep. 
Yeah. And so, like, Swan is... Swan hasn't put it together, Mm -hmm. what's going on, but Moraine has. And I think she says, um, I know one thing they said and one they did not. It is simply a matter of seeing the patterns and fitting the pieces together. And, like, she kind of wraps up that statement to Swan with, like, a, you should have figured that out by now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because, like, Maureen is constantly, like, commenting on how Swan sees things and is able to, like, undo puzzles and whatnot and how quick she is when it comes to, like, the one power and whatnot. So it's kind of fun that Maureen is, like, just, like, poking Mm -hmm. a little at Swan in that moment. Um, But, like... The big takeaway from this chapter is that Tamara is finding searchers. Like, Moraine puts it together that these women are the women that are going to be sent to Mm -hmm. find the Dragon Reborn. Um, And then it basically kind of wraps up with Moraine, like, just keeping an eye on the Amarillans study yeah until the new uh keeper was like what are you doing hanging around over here you got other stuff to do like, yeah yeah so that's i think that's the big takeaway from the itch is that moraine has put together that tamra sending out people Her searchers mm-hmm. yeah and then i guess um where chapter seven ends we can start out with shreds of serenity chapter eight so there's (laughs) there's a lot of writing in the tower and they pretty much only have the evenings free because now they're kind of um swan and moraine are like doing their notes and they're Mm -hmm. kind of like going through all of the notes of the women that have been looking for the dragon reborn and they're kind of like going through everything and we're starting to see like a grudge within the tower because they're kind of off doing their own thing and the other accepted are like, well, why did they get to, you know, like do this and we have to teach classes and, you know, so there's kind of like they're, I don't know, they're kind of, um, I don't want to say making some enemies, but they're definitely like they've got people's eye on them. Yeah. And um, within the tower, like, things are becoming heated and feverish. So, um, and it's all because they're, you know, doing these, <laughs> they're copying these, you know, this information down. Um, mm-hmm. But Moraine is just, like, burning with urgency. She, I think in one chapter, she mentions how she just wants the shawl so she can be, like, shot out of the tower like an arrow. I don't remember if that was her Mm -hmm. or Swan. But so they are going to a couple classes here and there, um, getting, you know, some old, you know, fighting hero stories and lessons on, you know, Arthur Hawkwing and this and Mm -hmm. that. And while this is going on, there are rumors coming out left and right. And what it has to do with is mainly the IU war that's going on right now. So a lot of camps are breaking up and leaving. Mm -hmm. And um, there are groups remaining, like, to stay. And the majority of these people that are staying are these women that are trying to get 
coin for their children. So mm-hmm. we still have like a trickle of these women still coming in. But at this point, they're too late to actually be someone that was, you know, that had the dragon reborn. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like pointless, but they're still there. And um, the other big rumor is that Gitara had a foretelling before she died. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of something that now is not really a secret. Even though it is a mm-hmm. secret, people are speculating. So yeah. within this, they know, like with Guitar's foretelling, that like something's going on and the rumor mm-hmm. mill is just at full speed. Um, and Moraine <laughs> and Swan are both like very near to becoming like to getting tested for the shawl. So they've been doing Mm -hmm. a lot of practicing. And this is where uh, things get kind of, I don't know, this is really brutal. (laughs) Yeah. This was hard hard to read. Um, Yeah. Moraine is having problems practicing for her test because Elida keeps coming into her room. And I'm making air quotations right now and helping her practice. Uh-huh. And by helping her practice, she's basically like beating the snot out of her and Swan. Yep. But what is interesting is Elida says that she wants Moraine to pass the test and she wants to mm-hmm. help her. Yeah. And, you know, everyone is totally worried because no one trusts Elida. She's sneak mm-hmm. like I don't know like she's just they had mentioned in like the I think the first chapter or second chapter that she's detestable yeah and she really is complete in total agreement she's yeah exactly awful she's horrible so everyone's like really concerned so Moraine is just like oh fuck it let's do this I mean I mean she would like Elena would come in and like her treatment of. Moraine and Swan was so severe that two other accepted, like, came in and helped, like, rub ointment on, like, welts that were forming yeah. on their body and bruises. And Elida would Elida's be like, like, I'll come in and... Yeah, she'll say, like, I'll she'll heal you in the morning. Come... And just letting them, like, yeah. suffer through the night. Like, what? It's... That's pretty awful. Yeah, she's... Like... She'll... Okay, so Moraine is, like, trying to do her 100 weaves to practice for the test. Mm-hmm. And Elida is, like... Just making these explosions so loud that she, like, Moraine, her, like, loses her um, hearing, like, momentarily. Mm-hmm. And she's just, you know, like, completely beaten. And she's getting, like, knocked around so hard by these, like, weaves where she's, like, cracking air at her. I always, when I think of that, I think of, you know, like, a wet towel when, like, someone, like, yes. cracks a wet towel. That's how I always yes. saw it in my head, like her getting these like welts and bruises from just getting like smacked with like air. Yeah. And she gets beaten so badly that she actually loses Sidar. So she can't yeah. even like channel. And she's just mm-hmm. in so much pain. But Elida makes her repeat this five times. And on the very yeah. last attempt, she can't even create one weave. She just falls to her knees sobbing. She can hardly stand. She has bruises and welts all over her body. And then Elida, like, commands Swan, like, your turn. Now you. And Swan's like, oh, fuck. And usually Swan can finish all 100 weaves, like, no problem. 
but Mm -hmm. with like with Elida's beatings the first time she can only create 20 and then Elida's Mm -hmm. like again and then only 17 and again then only 14 and again and then only 12 and Elida's just like well you've both failed so I'll see you tomorrow and they're like no (laughs) like that's the worst there, you know, Swan like waits for her to leave the room before she shows any emotion, which is so Swan. Mm-hmm. But very, yeah. Oh man, and after that part got me too. Yeah, and after Elida leaves, Mirella, Mirella, and Swan and Moraine are all holding each other in a group, and they're just weeping. I'm like, mm-hmm. Jesus, like that's and my role, awful. my role hadn't even been part of like the the physical torment of she it. She just but, watched like, seeing it happen. Yeah, like, seeing that happen to her friends just, just like, absolutely awful for her. And, like, they're just all, like, what the, what the hell? Yeah. What the hell? And then Elid, I guess, I don't really know how to say it, but she sees, like, all the injuries on Swan and Moraine. And she's, like, hold up. Like, this is against the laws. And, like, you need to punish Elida. Like, it was mm-hmm. wrong for her. Like, she can't use weaves to hurt you and punish you. You need to report her. And yeah. Swan's like, no, because if we do that, then they're only there's only going to be, like, repercussions. And, mm-hmm. like, have you ever heard of a accepted, you know, like, tattling on someone? Did anything good right. ever come out of it? And then they're like, no. So then Varen shows up and gives them a sleep aid. So they kind mm-hmm. of like sleep it off and the next morning Elida comes to heal them and then god the next two nights Elida just keeps showing up and she's yep. like I'm here to help help you study for the test and she even has Shiriam standing out in front of the door to keep watch. So does that not sound sneaky? Sounds shady as fuck. Yeah. What the hell? So the morning after the th- I do not like her. No. You not like that's see there you go again another really great example of like how you can just absolutely totally despise a character mm-hmm. and feel okay doing it. She fucking sucks. She's awful. <laughs> so this goes on, I think, three more nights, mm-hmm. and then Marion like Marion shows up and says like, "Hey, I know what happened, and Elida will never do this to you again," mm-hmm. and. Moraine and Swan were both wondering, like, how does she know? So someone tattled, apparently. I almost I, I almost feel like it could have been Farron, but I don't know. Because she's mm. like, she showed up to help them sleep. But, it, I mean, I almost feel like if it was one of the accepted, then maybe, you know, like, it wouldn't have been taken seriously. Like, I feel like it would have had to have been, like, another know. Aes Sedai. But... This is just me questioning. So um, there's a punishment for Elida, and it is mortification of the flesh. Take that. Yeah, I have to look. Do you know what that means? No. Uh, It says this practice is rooted in the Bible. No. (laughs) Mortification of the flesh. So in Christianity, that means like, being killed <laughs> but Yikes. um putting the flesh to death let's see if it's 
Mortification of the flesh is an Aes Sedai penance where the penitent is physically harmed, such as by birching, whipping, or other corporal punishment. She got spanked by something. Do you think, do you think the mistress of novices used her slipper? <laughs> Apparently Moraine thinks that's the worst one. <laughs> I shall shame you further by using a slipper. So funny. Better than a um, like a wooden spoon, maybe. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah. But so, so, yeah. so now Elida got punished and mm-hmm. apparently what she did broke no law, but her penance was for helping them cheat for the test for the mm-hmm. shawl. So how exactly did she help them cheat? We will find out. <laughs> <laughs> but so now like they're super scared to take this test for the shawl because if apparently Elida was helping them cheat, then they're thinking like, oh, so how bad is this test going to be? Like, is it really going to be this hard? Mm-hmm. And poor Moiraine, like, is starting to lose faith in herself. She doesn't believe, you know, that she can do it. Yeah. And she's kind of just, like, talking herself through it, like, trying to, like, you know, talk herself out of it. Mm-hmm. And what I think is like hilarious is they see Elida like two days later, and Elida's just giving them the death stare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yep. So they it says in quotations they have acquired an enemy for life, which I would agree, one hundred percent. Yep. So Damn. this is so. Approximately one week after Guitar's foretelling, the weather changes, the sun comes up, it seems like spring has finally come, and as time goes on, very few of the names are coming in, and the chances of them finding the Dragon Reborn seem to be slim to nothing. Yeah. And at the very end of this chapter, Moraine is summoned for the shawl. It's time! (laughs) It's time. Yes. I was really excited that this was what's like like the next thing. You know? I It's a good one. It's a really um I, Okay, I'll I'll wait to say what I'm going to say until later until okay. after on because I I've got something that is very much a spoiler in the back of my head. Okay, cool. But this is this is the first time if you're if you're going in order, this is the first time of the books. This is the first time you'll get to see the actual test for, for the, the shawl. shawl. Yeah, and after all of Elida's like beatings, her her study sessions, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it's just as it's it's just as bad, if not worse. I mean, to be honest, mm-hmm. and Elida is there in the room mm-hmm. during this. Mm-hmm. So she's, she's, you know, trying, I think she secretly, you know, wants to, I don't know if she, if she wants, she, she said she doesn't want Moraine and Swan to fail the test. Yeah. She's an Aes Sedai. So she can't, can't lie. lie. Yep. So what does this mean? And why is she, what is her, you know, obsession with Moraine and Swan? What is her deal? I wonder that too. Like, why? Why these two women? Why is she? Because, I mean, Myrell was in the room, too. And isn't Myrell, like, just shortly behind 
the two of them for getting ready for the shawl, or is she not? I'm not sure about her, but I know that Moraine and Swan are both, like, from what is understood the most powerful, accepted in the tower at this point. Yeah. So maybe that, like, maybe that has, like, more eyes on them, and Mm -hmm. Morel is just, Morella, Morel is just, you know, it's going to take her longer, like, Swan and Moraine are more, you know, powerful, maybe more prepared. But I I don't know what Elida's, like, her obsession almost is. Mm-hmm. I ask that same question because she's awful to them. And why? Why? It just makes no sense. Anyway, so chapter nine is It Begins. Are we ready to jump into chapter nine? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, cool. I'm going to see, like, um, <laughs> so poor... Poor Moraine, for real. Because, like, this <laughs> happens in the book. It says, she was going to fail and be put out of the tower. She was going to fail. Those words throbbed in her head, a drum beat, marking the walk to the headsman's ass. The headsman's ass? Marking the walk to the headsman's axe. She was going to fail. Poor Moraine. I mean, really, I mean, Elida's version of helping her was, like, like, she wasn't even able to reach 20 weaves when Elida was, like, beating her. And that's, those are her most recent practice sessions before she actually... Talk about having, like, low self, like, esteem at this point. Like, Elida has just, like, browbeat them into thinking that they're going to fail. Yep. It's pretty, it's pretty terrible of her. Uh, so, but at the same time, I almost wonder, like, did she do them a favor? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's an awful, shitty thing to do, but the test itself is no walk in the park. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the test. She, okay, let's, yeah, let's go. Let's <laughs> let's do this. So anyway. Moraine is going through this, but then her brain kicks in and she's she's Moraine and she's like starts working her way through her emotions. And she gets to a point where she realizes that more than anything, she wants to be Aes Sedai. Like that is above all. And I, I get this. Like this is the way that I am about a lot of things is like I'll be like, this is the thing. This is what I'm going to be laser focused on. This is what happens next. Mm-hmm. And she, like, she has the mental fortitude to pull herself back from, like, a near panic attack about failing the thing that she wants mm-hmm. more than anything else in the whole wide world. But she also, and this is another thing that I love about her, she also recognizes that if she gets put out of the tower, like, she still has a life she could live, even if she wasn't Aes Sedai, that had purpose. And for her, mm-hmm. her purpose has become finding the dragon reborn so she's kind of got like this balance of like i really want this thing and at the same time i really want this thing and i think i can make either one happen and Mm -hmm. i really love that she came to that perspective as she's on her way because there are so many points throughout her test where she has to be serenity itself and she's finding that as she's walking to where she's going to be tested I think it's also worth noting that she has something on her person Ooh, yeah. that she is trying to hide. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so she like she got called to do her test while she still had her little notebook in her pocket that had all of the lists of the names of the women who may possibly be mother to the dragon reborn. And she's doing this secretly. Like she doesn't want anybody to know that she has this. She doesn't feel like she really has a right to this information, which is why it needs to stay a secret. Um, and so she's just hoping, and she, of course, like when you go through these tests, you go through them clothed only in the light, which means naked. And yeah. so she knows she's going to have to take all of her stuff off and like leave it sitting off of her person where anyone can look at it, which definitely echoes to something that has happened in another one of the books, which yeah. could be like spoiler stuff later. Anyway, so she's so she gets down there. I think it's really interesting that they test in the dungeon. Mm-hmm. Why? They go to the basement. Why? I don't I don't understand that. Like it's anyway. So it's like this big cavernous room and that she walks into it. Maybe the Tarangriel is so big they can't like move <laughs> it. <laughs> Maybe that's where they found it. It was already set up and they were like, hey, we're yeah. gonna use it for this thing. Because the other thing is is like how how did they decide that this was going to be part of the test? I mean, these I said I can't make Terangriel. So they have just stumbled upon them and someone must have stepped through it and been like, oh, hey, there's this weird, crazy test thing inside here. I guess we'll use this for creating Aes Sedai. How did they? And it's so similar to Teleron Riode that, mm-hmm. like, you just, I don't know, they're What's taking place is like they're, you know, like making all these challenges for her mm-hmm. throughout these 100 weaves, but they're creating um, like a scenario in each weave. So each weave is a different like station that she has to walk to this like six pointed star. Yeah. And every time she gets to a six pointed star, it goes to the next setting. Mm-hmm. And they're just making up these settings in which she has to do these tests where like um it could be all this, you know, crazy fighting happening around her or her being attacked by animals or something, but she has to keep calm and keep her composure, make her weave, and then find the six pointed star and then get to the next step. Yeah. And it's a hundred steps of this. Yeah. It seems it seems like a lot as she's going through it. So there are Aes Sedai that sit around the Terangriel and channel. And then mm-hmm. And they create the scenes, they, I guess. And you know, it's re- like it, it's really interesting how that comes out in the book because like Maureen will be like, There was this thing and she had never seen it before, but she knew what it was. And so like in my head, I'm like, oh, well, that must have been a brown who created, like, a brown uh, Aja sister who created this specific. I think for me that was the one that had the, uh, I kind of want to find one. Anyway, so she has to do this, like, very calmly. She has to. No running. No running. Steady pace. <laughs> Just so ridiculous. Yeah. And so when she walks through, like, there's clothes laying out for her. And once she's dressed, she feels like the clothes could have made been made by her own seamstress. And so she feels, she feels really kind of empowered by being dressed the way that she feels most mm-hmm. confident. Um, but then as she starts, like, moving forward, her dress and everything just start 
disappearing and she's naked she has to do it naked (laughs) yeah and like there it seems like there's like an outfit change every yeah every step she takes which is just it's like every time she goes through the star she finds herself naked again and she she's thinking like why am i naked yeah like every time she gets through and then she's like why am i naked that's and then it's like act one act two act three all the way up into 100 yep uh one of the things that i really liked and this is something that Jordan does really well in his writing is when, like, it's how he will take a repeated phrase and use it to reintroduce the same section of the thing again. I don't know if I can find it. Oh, and found herself wondering where she was and how she had gotten there. Why was she dressed in a farmer's cotton woolens? So, like, every single time... She, like, flips to the next thing after the star. That statement kind of, like, comes up. And I just find that when Jordan uses it, it just gives you, like, that deja vu feeling. And it's Mm -hmm. supposed to. And I think he does that really well. So, like, walking through this test with Maureen, there are definitely um, dangerous things that she has to face. And she does it. Like, she keeps walking through it. The the last one was... The ex- especially the most heartbreaking one. The one where she like dances in place. <laughs> Isn't oh the, no, I think no, the, I think that one's actually in the next chapter because is that okay? Like she she is just getting through like her third or fourth step, um, and on this one, she finds herself being attacked by Trollocs. Um, oh, and she hadn't ever seen them before, but she knew but what she they knew were what supposed they were. to look like. Yeah. yeah, and I'm betting that those Trollocs came from the Saldean sister. I don't remember what Aja she's from, but I'll bet she's the one that lives like Trollocs. She's like, I know how to make some Trollocs. Hey, have you been to the Borderlands lately? Yeah. We, we got them by the dozens. <laughs> have a couple. <laughs> I really, I really well, liked that you could feel which Aes Sedai was the was one. creating each. Yeah, yeah. And so I really liked that. And Moraine's solution to this moment is so is so clever <laughs> and unexpected. It's so cute. I don't know. Adorable. It's so. It's so. Um. It's so innocent. It reminds mm-hmm. me of just like you know, like a. Have you ever met like a younger girl and she's kind of just like a little butterfly? Like, yes, kind of just like, oh, like I'm doing my own thing and kind of just like not spacey, but just like not really caring what other people think kind of flighty. Mm -hmm. Like it totally reminded me of this. Like I feel like I've known someone to do something like so silly, but so cute at the same time. And like perfect for the moment. Like it. it Yes. So, uh. I, I kind of marked this out, and I don't want to read all of it, but I just really enjoyed it because she, like, the chapter before it, she's like, there had to be a way. She would not fail. Somehow the thought of being killed and eaten by Trollocs never entered into it. She would not fail. That was the whole. Um, and so, like, she has that moment where she's like, fuck you, Trollocs. I got this shit. I'm going to become <laughs> Aes Sedai. And abruptly the way came clear to her and she smiled and began to hum the quickest court dance that she knew. Of and then, course she did. And then she danced to the star. 
Yeah. So, and like while she's dancing, she's performing this intricate weave that has to be done. And she's shooting fireballs at Trollocs. So she's humming, dancing, channeling in multiple <laughs> weaves. <laughs> And oh my I, god, if we don't see this on the TV series, I will cry because oh my god, it's I mean, it's it's adorable and it's hilarious. But like, it's, it's also just, kind of beautiful and coordinated yes. at the same time. Like it just shows her literal grace under pressure. Yes. And how every little thing that makes Moraine Moraine like this moment, I'm just like I couldn't love you more. This is so and, like, this is only, like, what, step four or something? Step yeah, five? Yeah, she's just starting. Mm-hmm. So Moraine, like, makes it through this fourth step, and that's where we end off is, like, we're through the beginning, which, I mean, it begins perfect name for the mm-hmm. chapter. Um, and, of course, like, this is what makes you flip immediately to chapter 10 is that you're still at the beginning of the test. Yeah. What's going to happen next? Do you want to do chapter 10? Yeah. Or do you want to take a smoke break? You know what? That sounds really good. Do you want me to call you while I'm smoking? Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay. I'm going to get cozy in my chair here. Get cozy. I like it. Sit down. Relax. (laughs) So chapter 10, it finishes? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we finish with our spoiler-free section. No spoiler full section. Right? Spoiler full after it finishes. Full of spoilers. Yeah, what's what I think is nice about chapter ten is it we go straight to like the ninety nine weaves. And we get like a little recount of what Moraine has kind of gone through. Mm Mm-hmm. And she finds herself in a forest, and she's recounting. I I don't know if it's really her recounting or kind of like a narrational recount Mm -hmm. of what she's gone through, because obviously she's not supposed to remember Mm -hmm. each test. Yeah. But it's explaining that she has cuts from grass. She's remembering being sometimes naked. She's bound by ropes, hung mm-hmm. by her hands, hung by her feet, being attacked by serpents and water lizards and wild boar and lions and leopards and stampedes of cattle. Mm-hmm. She's stung by hornets and wasps and swarms of ants and house horseflies and insects that she didn't even recognize. And then on top of all these, like, you know, beasts and insects, She's chased by angry mobs that want to try and burn her and white cloaks that want to hang her and robbers that want to stab her. (laughs) And every single time she forgets where she was and she wondered how she got there. Mm -hmm. And that's such a great, like, ooh, like that makes you just kind of really feel like her, her inner, you know, feelings of just confusion and knowing that she's so battered and beat up and she doesn't remember why. And it really shows how brutal this test is. And she's so weary. She's just, you know, like she can hardly walk. She's kind of hobbling Mm -hmm. to the next six-pointed star and she's thinking to herself, it's the last weave. Mm -hmm. And 
as she passes through the six-pointed star, she sees her father and she always remembers her dad being like a very strong, having great posture and standing up straight. Mm -hmm. And she remembers the only time he would ever bend over was to like lift her up as a child. And he's, you know, all slumped over and sad. And he tells her, he comes to her and he says, you know, your mother is dying and you have to come with me. And Moraine's trying not to cry, but she knows that she has to do this last weave. So she, you know, creates the last weave, finishes it, and then sees the star to leave. And she tells her father, you know, I love you and tell mother that I love her. And she slowly, you know, like walks to the star with all of her, you know, grace and composure. And as she slowly walks through the star, she finds herself back in the tower. Mm -hmm. And her memory comes back to her and she's remembering every misstep that she had and every injury. And as she's dealing with all of these emotions and remembering all of these terrible things, she thinks, oh, my God, I've done it. I passed. I passed the test. I did it. Mm-hmm. And so we get this moment of her, you know, like having that having that closure of doing it and, you know, finding the strength within herself to actually, like, get through this. Mm-hmm. And the other Aes Sedai, you know, come to her and tell her she has to spend the night in contemplation. Mm-hmm. And... Basically, all of the sisters there go to her except Elida Mm -hmm. and one other. And Anaya heals Moraine because she's like, let's face it, she is messed up. Yeah, she is a battered woman. Yeah, and Moraine is just in shock. Like, all she can think of is that she passed. Mm -hmm. And um, Anaya is like, yeah, and it's a good thing that blushes don't count as failures. Yeah. And Moraine is mortified to think that, like, all of the sisters there have seen every Mm -hmm. little thing that happened. And she's recounting one of the tests, like, a handsome man kissed her during the test, and she's, you know, (laughs) blushing. And she realizes that, you know, all of her injuries right now in this time, like, are much worse than what Elida did to her. Mm -hmm. So Elida's beatings weren't even as bad as what she had went through in this test. And she goes to her clothing, and she's totally relieved to find that her pouch, like her book that she's keeping all of these names in, is still there. Mm -hmm. And it appears as that no one has opened it or fussed with it. So she's, you know, very relieved. So her, you know, her last test was extremely cruel. Yeah. And she tries to bring that up with Anaya, but Anaya's like, you know, we don't speak of these things. Yeah. And I I marked that place too. uh, Because she even says it out loud. She says the last test was very cruel. And then Anaya is like, kind of reprimands her. Yeah. She said, it is not to be spoken of, however cruel, not ever to anyone. But. She thinks that this was Elida, mm-hmm. and I think with Elida being of nobility, no, Elida would know about Moraine's family. Well, and she's also, like, moderately obsessed with Moraine and Swan, so I can't see her not knowing a detail as big as Moraine's father being dead, you know? And then you, knowing that that would be, like, a place to hurt her, and that's... 
mean. Elida, you're mean. Yeah. And so she, I mean, she basically assumes that Elida tried to make her fail. Yeah. Because it was the most harsh of, like, all of the tests. And Anaya and Varen take her to the chambers to find, like, two clerks doing her work. Mm-hmm. And so she kind of, like, hurries to her quarters and she, she's almost running because she has to find Swan. Mm-hmm. And instead she finds Shiriam and yep. Morella or Morel. Mm-hmm. And they ask if she passed the test and she's just kind of like, yeah, okay, but where's Swan? Mm-hmm. And she doesn't even care to tell people that she passed, that she's now, you know, an Aes Sedai, like... Well, and she's more she's more worried about where Swan is. Well, and she, it also like at this point, one of the things that I thought was like n- necessary to be there is that Moraine instantly recognizes the fact that now that she has attained the shawl, there is this new gulf between her and yeah. her friends, and like she they almost make a curtsy to her. Yeah, and like she like she feels this sadness because she sees it in them and she feels it in herself which might also she realizes be... that their friendship is now over yeah i mean just in that like one little moment of saying yes she she passed the test and then there's just like this immediate rift like yeah and it's so weird how like the tower like puts these women together starting out as novices where they bond over their experience and then puts them together as they're accept as the accepted where they bond as part of the experience, but then when that moment happens, like, and, and I mean, we still don't even know which Aja Swan and Moraine are choosing. Like, it hasn't no. been mentioned at all which direction they plan on going in, and so what is it going to be like when they, like, actually start, will there be moments where Moraine and Swan are hanging out in, like, the quarters with the other Aes Sedai? Do they rebond in a different way with the sisters of their own Aja? Like... There just seems think, like building up and breaking down a lot inside the tower. Yeah. Let's see here. Okay. Like, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, like she's obviously, like, in this place where she's distressed that Swan isn't isn't there because Swan is, has been taken for her testing. And so even though, like, Maureen is tired from being healed and emotionally completely and totally wrung out, like there's still all she can think of <laughs> yeah is like what's going to happen next and like she even <laughs> i like that she sits down to read hearts of flame because like in like the it sounds first... like a romance novel <laughs> it is it is and she actually like kind of shited a novice for reading the same book like earlier but now that she's like now but that she's yeah <laughs> now that she's an Aes Sedai, she can yep. you know she's allowed to have these Yep, it's that like in the book it says Hearts of Flame might be uh, unsuitable for a novice, but it was one of her fra- favorites and Swans. <laughs> so like they both really like this book and they're like it's okay for us, it's not okay for novices. I just mm-hmm. thought that that was like I thought that was like her a fun distraction. Um, yeah, she so she, you know she's like all curled up in bed, she can't sleep. Mm-hmm. She's just too worried, you know, about Swan, and she just wants Swan to come back and. She doesn't even go to supper because she's afraid that if she leaves, Swan might come back and not she won't, she be, won't be there, there. for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sometime after, you know, dinner is over, Swan eventually shows up and we learn that Swan has also passed the test. 
And we get this amazing quote from Swan where Maureen asks, you know, like, how was it? And she says, it was easy as falling off a boat into a school of silver pike. (laughs) I love these Swan-isms. Right? They never get old. And now they both realize, like, they will be raised together. Mm -hmm. And they want to, you know, ask each other about each other's test, but they know it's forbidden. And for the first time, they realize that this is – this is one of the only moments that they've not been able to share each other's secrets with each other. Yeah. I loved I loved the moment that says Moraine leaped to her feet and laughing, they danced hand in hand for joy. <laughs> How sweet is it that they get to have that experience together because her other friends she now has this big gulf with. What would it have been like had they not been raised together and it's just so sweet that they were and I I love that because it just still shows that they're they're still young women with young women impulses like dancing for joy I just thought that Mm -hmm. moment was really sweet and I like how it shows like how in step they are with each other they're so similar in their strength of the one power to the point that they were that they will actually be raised together, mm-hmm. like hand in hand. Like, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. And it really shows how strong their bond is. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we've talked about this in previous episodes. They, you know, like, like they're pillow friends. They're, you know, they're best friends. Their relationship is something very, very special and sacred. And mm-hmm. they're closer than, you know, like sisters could be. And now they're even getting raised, you know, together. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, what will be interesting to see is, you know, how long does this last? Mm -hmm. What's another interesting thing is, um, (laughs) I don't know if it's interesting or hilarious or terrible, but... It's a terrible... um, it's a terrible idea. This is a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah. But, okay, so smiling, Swan tells Moraine that she is – okay, okay. So, you know, after Moraine was healed, you know how after you're healed with one power, you become, like, totally hungry. Yep, yeah. And Moraine had missed dinner waiting for Swan, so I think food is on her mind, and Swan's just like, no, I got something even better than food. <laughs> I've got mice. She says, in my room, I have six mice. And at first, I was so confused because I thought, like, I thought Moraine was like, I'm hungry. And dinner's already been served. And and Swan was like, no, in my room, I've got six mice. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? Is Swan trying to feed her rats? I was so confused. Had to go back over that. Yeah. Swan wants to put the mice in Elida's bed for, you know, payback, like retribution. And she's, such you know, explaining idea. what? It's such a bad idea. It's such, such a, a bad, bad idea. idea. And Maureen thinks like, you know, Elida had known too many of their weaknesses and that she had purposely tried to make them fail. So Maureen's like, all right, forget it. Let's do it. You know, yeah. I'm in. And that's where we end chapter 10. Yeah. Mice in bed prank. So (laughs) I'm really excited to see how this goes. 
I bet, I bet it, I wonder if it just kind of glosses over it or if though I'm sure it glosses over it. I don't think there's going to be a big, like, there's not going to be a big, like, angry session because they have to be, Elida has to be composed. Mm-hmm. So. It's pretty funny. And I think this wraps up our spoiler-free section recap. Uh-huh. Yeah. And now we can get more into, like, discussion topics and. Yeah. 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 Okay, so I mentioned this a second ago. We still don't know what Aja, Moraine, and Swan are going towards. And I think that that's really interesting because they discuss, like, how often, like, Aes Sedai from a specific Aja will be very aware of mm-hmm. an accepted choice. And so, like, sometimes they almost have mentors from that Aja who, like, I mean, like, later in the books, Nynaeve spends a lot of time with the yellows because she knows she's going to choose yellow. And, I mean, that's how well, she's she, able... After she or after she healed Stilling, mm-hmm. the yellows were like just obsessed with her and wouldn't leave her alone and like yeah. driving her crazy and it was almost like it just destined her fate at that moment like mm-hmm. there was no way she was getting out of it <laughs> nope yeah and so like it's it's interesting to me that we still and I mean that's another where I'm like why is the latest so into them like neither one of them are going to choose red but, like, she's the only sister that you see consistently come back. I mean, and and I don't know what their time as novices and their time as accepted before this were like. But, like, right now, the mm-hmm. only sister that's really showing a strong interest in them is from the Red Aja. Yeah. And so I find it really interesting that now they both have the shawl, but we don't know what color the fringe is. Come on, guys. Well, I think... Um, what I think is almost like foretelling is when... The Amarlin is having Moraine and Swan deliver these, you know, notes mm-hmm. throughout to the other Ajas. And as Moraine is piecing this puzzle out in her head, I almost get the feeling that she's with her, you know, like laser like focus mm-hmm. on finding the Dragon Reborn. Like she's going to choose blue. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's it's totally obvious, and we know, you know, from later on that she does. That's what she chooses. But from books in the series, and Eye of the World, she explains that she's a blue. I think sometime, sometime, to, I think Rand. But um, I, I almost feel like they're. I almost feel like the Amarlin is going things. Going about things in a way because the Amarlin is also blue. Her new mm-hmm. Keeper of the Chronicles is also blue. Gitara, mm-hmm. before you know she died, was blue. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like the Amarlin, now that Swan and Moraine are in on this secret, the Amarlin is kind of like giving her this busy work with the notes and whatnot and keeping them involved in this plot mm-hmm. almost as like a way to like bring them into the blue Aja without you know, actually doing it. Like mm-hmm. an Aes Sedai trick of kind of like creating this atmosphere where they're involved now and they almost have to like stick with it and they already are so intent on finding the Dragon Reborn that... But no one would officially know that Moraine and Swan know what they know, which right. keeps them safe. Right. And so like I feel like Tamara was really intentional with who she chose to deliver those notes and with the direction that, like, 
was taken when Maureen was asked to like come in and make the copies, and then Swan was brought in on it too. Like they were right. there it was almost for the fate. Yeah, like they were there for the foretelling. They're now being given access to all of the names and all of the locations, and now they're also being given the notes that are to be taken to the women that are going to become the searchers for the Dragon Reborn. And Tamara knows Maureen is smart enough to figure that out. Yes. And she does, and then she shares it with Swan. So you have, like, undercover, super, super secret agents searching for the Dragon Reborn that no one will know about. And that is important because... Yes. I... Spoilered myself. <laughs> well, it's almost like the wheel chose for them, you know, like the will, you know, it's it's the saying that gets repeated over and over again. But it was almost like they were both destined to it by being in that room with Guitaro when she has her mm-hmm. foretelling. Like, I almost believe that they didn't have a choice in the matter. They're blue. Mm-hmm. Like, they have to be because... They're pretty much the only ones that the Amarlin can trust at this point, and she's... Do you think that this had anything to do with, like, them being raised on, like, the same day? Like, I'm thinking about how, like, we know about them being there for the foretelling, and now we are seeing them as secret agents that are going to go out on a search for this, but they can't do that until they are fully isodized. Raised, yeah. So, like, maybe that has... That's oh, I definitely I definitely thought that that she tried to. Well, I also believe that the Amerlin knew about Moraine's uncles dying, and then this conspiracy for them wanting to get her into the, um, you know, back into Kyrian, and you know, like be crowned basically. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like if she, if she wouldn't have gone, you know, and had them raised, you know, to take the test as soon as she did, there's a possibility that Moraine really would have gotten bullied into, you know, going back to her royal court life. And if she wasn't raised as soon as possible, she might not have had a chance to even, you know, do it. Because if she's an accepted and they tell her, like, this is what you have to do, she I mean, there is a power structure. Mm-hmm. She can't do what she wants as an accepted. So if they're kind of like browbeating her into it, she can make excuses as much as she can, but only up until a certain point. Yeah. I think in that situation, um, there's also still a push to make Maureen Aes Sedai as well because then they have an Aes Sedai as, the ruler of an entire nation. And so, like, but even raised to the shawl, there's still that power structure. Like, there's still Aes Sedai who, like, have strength in the power and in years of experience and blah, 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 that would be yeah. able to, like, pull if the we're strings. Gonna, if we're going to go, like, Dusty Mars about it, yeah, I feel like the Amarlin would know that, her being raised gives her a better chance to continue on with this mission. Yeah. But if she was still an accepted, like even as an accepted, they could have sent her to Kyrian, Mm -hmm. you know, and raised her later. Mm, Interesting. So, I mean, they could have like forced her into that position and then raised her later. 
And then for sure had her as, you know, like Mm -hmm. a white tower associate, (laughs) you know, like ruling. I can't imagine that Kyrian would be really comfortable with that. Yeah, but, but yeah, that's a good point. But if she's still unaccepted, like she can't really tell a sister no. She mm-hmm. can kind of, she can play, try and play the game as much as she can. But up until what point are they just like, you need to do this? Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Or they could hold that over her and be like, if you don't do it, maybe you don't have your test as soon as you want. Like, you know, they could hold that over her as well. Mm. Aes Sedai are tricky. They're but tricky. they're lucky that, you know, they were in the room for the foretelling, so now they've got, like, a chance to get out of there. And, you know, you know here's their chance. Mm-hmm. I'm real eager to see what's going to happen with um, Moraine and Swan next. And I haven't even peeked at, like, what happens in the next chapter, so, I mean, it very easily could be, like, a veer off to a different character's perspective because we still haven't come back to land. Like... God, I want to get back to Lan. I really want to know what's happening there. Uh, so one of the best, one of the best parts of the ch- like these chapter readings was Elias, and like it's just such a brief moment. I cheered. I was like, oh, right. Like I, I was like, is that is that who I think that is? Wolf brother I, himself. I have this image of him from the books as the wolf brother. And, like, you know he's a former warder, and, Mm -hmm. like, to get this, like, little teeny tiny, like, glimpse, it's like a cameo moment in a flashback. Mm -hmm. It was just, I don't know, I really enjoyed it. (laughs) But I'm really curious who will play Elias. Mm -hmm. He's got to be, like, I don't know. I feel like Elias is, like, real scruffy, you know, but would, like, clean up very nice, Yeah, you know? I also, like, because he has to, I feel like he's a character you can't cut out. No. You know, like that transition of Perrin from Boy from the Two Rivers to Man Who Can Speak with Wolves, like. Well, Elias Elias disappears and he's gone like halfway through the series. And then when he comes back, ugh. I was so excited <laughs> because every book that I read up until the point where he was gone, I was just like, well, shit, I guess the White Cloaks did kill him. Mm-hmm. But I was I was wanting more of his perspective. And thank God he shows back up because he's such a great character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, and that's, I think that's one of the really fun things about New Spring. It's almost, I don't know, it almost feels like it's written for the fan base in some mm-hmm. ways. Like putting things in there, putting people in there that you're like, oh, those are gonna, those are connected in this series later on. Like being able to see that, like, I really. That's why I really, I really, really hope that somehow throughout the series that they're filming for Amazon Prime, we get some flashbacks because some of this stuff is so important. And if you're starting out with the, you know, Eye of the World. I think it would be pretty hard to, you know, get people to understand what's going on without any backstory at all because yeah. these people don't know what an Aja is. They don't know what a <laughs> warder is, you know? And I guess, like, you could have, like, in that moment, like, 
Lan like explaining to Rand like, well, I I'm a warder. This is what I do. This is what it means. <laughs> Look at my fancy cloak, you know. <laughs> but how much cooler would it be if it was like flashbacks to you know like warder training in the tower mm-hmm. and like this little moment that we got in this chapter where we see like. Elias and you know some other warders like practicing you know and and his eyes and I standing there like cheering them on like yeah. she's like well struck Elias and nice dodge other dudes that would be name, me I don't forget <laughs> right like in this I would be like... such a cheerleader for them both like well struck cat crosses the courtyard amazing <laughs> wonderful <laughs> That's going to become my new strut from now on. Cat crosses the courtyard. I'm going to figure out what that looks like. Superman pose and then cat crosses the courtyard. Whenever you're feeling a little down, Superman pose, cat crosses the courtyard. (laughs) I I get behind that. You spotted some more I, I see here. I spotted what they did. And I'm really, so, okay, I'm real hesitant to talk about this unless you're cool with me doing this because I don't know for sure if it's revealed in the books or if it is revealed um, in the Wheel of Time companion because the notes that are on them, it doesn't necessarily say what it is. Um, um, are we talking about Kareen? Mm-hmm. Kareen? And Mylan, Argania, and Valera Gorvni, who are the people, like, those are the three Aes Sedai that Maureen and Swan know of that have been contacted by Tamara to become the searchers. Mm, 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 mm. So if Maureen figured it out, and there's also a rumor floating around that Guitara had a foretelling about the Dragon Reborn, and mm-hmm. this very specific little group of women is being gathered, like, if Maureen figured it out, other people figured it out too. And of course, it's the Black Oz that figures it out. <laughs> well, of course they do. I mean, mm-hmm. let's be honest here. We've talked about this multiple times how many of the Black Aja sisters are in the White Tower right now, starting out just in New Spring. We could do an entire episode. On all of the, it would take us three episodes to get through all mm-hmm. of the women who are Black Aja in the in the White Tower. There are a lot of them. There are a lot of them. I feel like someone's got the numbers broken down. I'll have to see if I can find it. But like someone's this got is, the numbers broken down on like how this many. Is, do it. This Sorry. Is one of oh no, it's okay. This is one of my little like theories is that at some point along in New Spring. Moraine and Swan are going to eventually figure out that there's like a rat problem in the tower. Yes. And that there are just black Aja, you know, everywhere. Everywhere. But they, I'm sure they're not going to know who exactly. And this, I think, is going to be the schism between Moraine and Swan where. They have to kind of pretend to go their own separate ways to make sure that they're safe with this, you know, getting this information. Because 
obviously if they stay besties and Swan gets raised to Amarlin and Moraine is out looking for someone, mm-hmm. you know, like they're going to think that they're in cahoots, that they've got, you know, plans to find the Dragon Reborn. And I feel like maybe this is a way that they protect themselves as kind of pretending that they don't have a relationship anymore and kind of, yeah. like, you know, falling out of touch with each other. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, who knows? It could be anything. But that's just my theory going into it. Just because you've picked out so many of these women. Mm-hmm. And, my God, like, if they know, it's it, it would be assumed that maybe the Amarlin knows. And that's why she's has to be so secretive, like you said, with... Um, she told, you know, Moraine and Swan to lie about the mm-hmm. foretelling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, she she has to be secretive. And furthermore, I mean, how many times does it come up in the books where people speculate on what the Reds would do when they find someone that can channel, even if it is the Dragon Reborn, mm-hmm. even knowing that this person could be the savior of the world, would they still steal this person? Yeah. Yeah. Or gentle, this person. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, God, like, talk about Deste Mars. Like, everyone's going to be playing different games from different angles. And this is essentially, like, what's going to eat the tower alive and create, you know, the problems that we see later on in the books, mm-hmm. especially with Elida. Mm-hmm. My God. Like, how well-written is Elida? Seriously. Mm-hmm. Have you well, read... I mean, even out of The Forsaken, mm-hmm. I read about Elida and I'm just like, how can you not hate this woman? Like, yeah. she's awful. She's awful. I really liked in the one chapter where it said that, like, they knew they had an enemy for life, like Swan and Moraine. And all I could think of at that moment was when Swan was deposed and... Well, yeah, it's this whole conspiracy. This whole conspiracy. I mean, the Amarlin is sending them to do like all of her notes and stuff. And did you notice she sends notes to everyone except the Reds? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, this like almost yeah, this Dustin Swan to what happens between her and Elida. Like this is the chapter Mm -hmm. where it all falls into motion. Like where it begins with what you said. Her being deposed. It's crazy. Like, I really, I liked that. I liked how that was a, um, like, a nod to what we know already. You know? She's terrible. And and what makes it worse is she's not inherently evil, like Mm -mm. the Forsaken. But she's, she has this, like, she has these two things going against her. One, she's in incredibly powerful in the one channel or in the one in the one power she's <laughs> in the one channel uh, but she's so short-sighted mm-hmm. you know and, and she really only wants to believe what she wants to believe which makes her really dangerous because if she right. decides something and she feels a particular way about it enough that it is her personal truth the three oaths are not going to stop her from saying things that are still lies about another person 
Like if she convinces herself, you think herself, she can lie? I think oh, she oh, can convince oh, her. Yeah. I think she can convince herself that Swan and Moraine are absolutely terrible people. And so anytime she talks about them and it's like awful, it's still the truth. It's still her truth. And I think that that's one of the things about the three oaths mm-hmm. that is really interesting and in how it is really possible. So, like, you just think, like, she's so delusional that she's, like, found a way to kind of game the system. This is her mental truth. That's how I feel about it. Well, like, getting to know her, like, so obviously, like, this goes into, like, when she says she wants them to pass the test. Yeah. And this is where I'm really, really confused because... She can't lie, so she's saying she wants them to pass the test, but we mm-hmm. already know that, like, they're they're not on great terms with Elida. So why exactly does she want them to pass the test? Like, I believe that she wants them to pass the test, but I want to know the reason behind it. Me too. And I, I also am really curious about why she has taken this super interest in the two of them and I think we've we've mentioned that several times but I just don't see where it gets explained why I have a I have like a me like maybe a theory like a possible theory I want to know what it is okay so god I always forget that Elida is like one of the first Aes Sedai that we meet in the eye of the world where Rand like sneaks into the castle and meets Elaine and the whole Domadred family, uh-huh. and she's uh, Morghese's, like... Um, advisor. Advisor, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And she has, like, I I almost forgot, like, Elida has foretellings. Mm-hmm. And in this moment where she meets Rand, she has a foretelling about him. Mm-hmm. And she has another foretelling, I don't remember. Is it it might have been, like, Towers of Midnight. I don't remember. Later on yes. in the series... But I almost wonder if she had some type of foretelling linking her fate to Moraine and Swan. Well, she did have a foretelling about the royal family of Andor and how it was a key to what was going to happen. Yes. But like she does, like she does that and she assumes that it has to do with the person who's currently on the throne. And that is like, she doesn't know that Rand was born from Tigraine, who had been the queen Mm -hmm. of Andor. So the royal family is the key to this happening, but she attaches herself to the wrong portion of the royal family. This is her foretelling when she meets Rand in the castle, like basically in front of Morghese. Mm-hmm. And she says, from this day, Andor marches towards pain and division. The shadow has yet to darken to its blackest. And I cannot see if the light will come after. Where this world has wept one tear, it shall weep thousands. This I foretell. This too I foretell. Pain and division come to the whole world. And this man, and Rand, stands here at the heart of it Mm -hmm. so like dang okay so like this is her very this is her introduction into the series it's one of the first Aes Sedai we meet Mm -hmm. and she's like spouting off at these foretellings and she wants to lock Rand up yeah like immediately she's like immediately and I 
yeah, and I feel like she she doesn't ever switch from that mindset. Mm-mm. No, she's like, well, I mean, she's the one who's responsible for sending out like that that group of Aes Sedai who go and like meet Rand and Kyrian. Yeah, and like we know what happens with those Aes Sedai, and those Aes Sedai yeah. are under Aleda's authority. Like she's yeah. she's sent them. She feels good about this group of women who then put Rand in a box and beat him. And tortured him. Yeah. yeah. And like you said, with her foretelling of, you know, the noble line being a part of the whole, you know, winning the last battles, you know, she she got it so wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's why she attached herself to more gays yep. because she thought, okay, well, if I'm, you know, an Andor and advising her, then she can, she, she's on her own path from her own foretelling where Moraine and Swan are both doing the exact same thing, but it's not, I don't know, but they're not Elida. They're not so... I don't know. They're not so. I don't. I don't want to say crazy because I don't think Elida is crazy. But I think she. She thinks she's the only one who's special. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, especially considering that she has these foretellings and she's very strong in the one power, she puts herself above everyone else. Unless you know they're more powerful than she is. It's almost like she's this tragic character where she she could have been one of the good guys mm-hmm. had she just been a little bit different a little bit less power hungry maybe she could have been one of the good guys yeah she's so powerful and she has foretellings and just think of all the good she could have done but you know now her and swan and moraine have a grudge against each other and this whole like mice in the bed you know, plot is just It's such awful a bad idea. idea. It's such a bad yeah. idea. Why are they doing this? I mean, this? it's it's hilarious, but it's not good. Mm-hmm. And if we, you know, if we, you know, dig deep into Elida, I, I almost wonder there's a, I don't, I don't really know if it's a theory or if it's kind of a truth, but at one point in... What book was it? Is it a memory of light? I think it's I think it's possibly I think it's possibly Lord of Chaos. But Elida and Pot on Fane cross paths. Okay. And um there is this idea in the fandom that supposedly kind of like poisoned by that association with Shadar Logoth. Mm-hmm. So there is a quote from that, there's a Pot and Fane chapter where he says, um, it's unlikely that Nile, I'm assuming Pedro Nile would have ever supported Althor any more than Elida would have, but it was best not to take too much for granted with Rand bloody Althor. <laughs> well, he had brushed them both with what he carried from Arid Hall. They might possibly trust their own mothers, but never Randall Thor. So I'm almost wondering, like, we we see this, um, her crossing paths with 
caught on Bane and her possibly becoming kind of tainted by his, you know, like weird craziness. And now, now she's, is now she, is this a point where she falls into total, like just delusion? Maybe. Because this is, this is where, you know, she has Egwene basically as a prisoner mm-hmm. later on. And she just, she goes from being like kind of an asshole to like a legitimate crazy person. Yep. So Elida is just, I think, I don't know. I'm. It might be controversial, but she might be one of the best written characters in the series because you just want to choke her out. <laughs> like I have a visceral response to Elida mm-hmm. and even some of the, like what we were talking about last week with the Forsaken. Like some of them, you can kind of like be like, okay, like they're awful, but you don't like hate them. You don't want to like murder their eyeballs. Mm-hmm. And with Elida, it's just like, oh, why do you have to be so insufferable? You're so terrible. Yeah. And we're getting all of that right now. Mm-hmm. So we're at her roots, or at least we're part at her of them. Roots. Yes. Because, I mean, knowing yes. knowing that bit about her being from, like, a minor noble family in Murundi, like, I think that's also a really important part of who she is. Especially being the youngest. Yeah. You know, like, you feel like she might, you know, she has to be, like, one, she has to one-up people, maybe. Mm-hmm. I can understand like, her wanting to be competitive in ways with Moraine because Moraine is legit royalty. Royalty, like, yeah. She's, she stands close enough to the throne of Kyrian that, like, Aes Sedai are trying to manipulate it so that that can happen. And, like, that's that's not where Elida is, but you can definitely see where she would want to have what Moraine has. And jealousy yes. can be a really terrible thing. So Right. Yeah. Especially in the setting within the tower mm-hmm. where there's all these plots anyway. So it's just like, here, throw another one into the mix. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's it's the recipe for disaster. It really is. It is. And it happens later on, and it's really, I don't know, it's just so well written. I come back to that all the time. It's so well written. I love it. Um, I agree. And we're at two hours and 24 minutes Of right course now. we are. Of course we are. <laughs> uh, maybe that's a good place for us to wrap up. Okay. <laughs> okay, so... Um, in case we haven't mentioned already, I think we did Unraveling the Pattern on YouTube. There's a lot of really good videos that he has that he's done. They're, they're beautiful. Um, yeah, they're, they're really well made and the information is so nice. There's some really great stuff in there. You should go check him out. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you, Lauren, for letting us use your clip at the beginning of the episode. It was really nice of you and it was really nice getting to talk to you as well. Um, talk to you as in chat with you through Twitter Messenger. <laughs> so I think that's it for us for today. What do you Shall th- we do the outro? I think we should do the outro. Do you want to start? Do you want me to start? Sure, I can. Do it. So guys, that wraps it up for today. Thank you so much for joining us on the stretch of the road to Tarvalin. We're so excited to share our love with you for the series and with other fans. So yeah, thank you everyone. You're an amazing community. We will keep launching shows every week and we hope that you continue to join us. Mm-hmm. Next week, what are we doing? We have next week chapters 11 and 12 for New Spring. Are we doing 11, 12, 13, 14? 
You want to do 11 through 14? It's a possibility. We could, it might be two, it might be four. Yeah. So bear with us. Yeah. We're see. We're figuring it out. <laughs> we haven't looked ahead. We're trying not, we're trying hard not to spoiler for ourselves too badly. So it'll either be two chapters next week or four chapters next week. Either way, it's going to be new spring recap time. Let us know what you thought of our content. Correct us. Send us things we may have missed. Uh, we have email, which is road to Tarvalin, all one word, at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at Road to Tarvalin, which is Amber. Um, and you can find me at Wannabe Blue 2, and that's a number two. Uh, and go follow Tracy. She's a new <laughs> Twitter user and. It would be more fun for her to see. I've never had all Twitter the... before. Yeah. And I, it, this is like solely a wheel of time moment for me. <laughs> and I really enjoy it. I posted a really pretty cake yesterday. I'm pretty. pretty it was it was beautiful. Pretty damn proud of that cake. Um, anyway, do us a favor and you can subscribe, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you can listen to our podcast. I think we're missing Stitcher at the moment, but I'm trying to work on that. Um, And if you want more information about us, we do have like a very minimal web page at anchor.fm backslash road to Tarvalin, but you can get to any of the listening apps through that website. Yeah, Um, definitely. Subscribe to us. Yeah. Listen to us. Please do. Um, And share share us if you like us. That would be lovely too. Uh, We're totally down with that. Um, and if you have the Anchor app, you can leave us a voice message. We do like those, and we like using them in our episodes. You can leave us pretty much anything, and we will be delighted. Um, we love using those in, you know, upcoming episodes. And even if, you know, you have a question that doesn't pertain to anything that we talked about, you know, that episode, like, do it anyways. We love it. It's so much fun. So please. Join us. Uh, join us. <laughs> And I think, I think that wraps us up, right? Yep. Okay. So until next week. Thanks for joining us. Safe travels. And and walk walk in the the light. light.